Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessings. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for this new day and this new year. We ask you to bless us today. We ask you to touch our lives and hearts as we come before the throne of God. We ask you, Lord, to bless the word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, your friend next to you. Shake their hand. Greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice today and that you're glad they're here. Amen. And indeed, we're glad for all of you that are here. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I want to say I appreciate all of you that uh, have sent cards and uh, first of all, first of all, Christmas cards and gifts. We appreciate all those things. Uh, in time, we'll try to respond to all of them. Uh, but Sister Myers, in particular, being in the hospital, was in the hospital now, is in a convalescent care facility. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, rehab, I think, is rehab where she's uh, there working with her to help her to walk better and so forth. As you know, she fractured a pelvis in a fall that we had that she had when we were over in Orlando at our granddaughter's uh, wedding. And uh, <clears throat> consequently, she has to go through therapy for a few weeks, and she's in a facility where they work on her every day for a couple hours. And you folks have been just really nice to visit, send cards, and all of those things, I appreciate it so very much. It means a lot to her as well. And so we appreciate all that you have done and all of you that have taken time here to be of concern for her. Amen. God bless you. Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you here today uh, on a subject here that brought this all to my interest this past week when I heard some things on the news. First of all, I want to give you a uh, backup a little bit about why this is of interest to me. Uh, Anthony Mangan, who is the pastor of the church in Alexandria, Louisiana, and his father, who recently passed away a couple of years ago, G.A. Mangan, uh, and he was the bishop there at the church, were invited to go to Washington, D.C. to be with Bill Clinton, to visit him. They were very close to Bill Clinton, especially Anthony. Uh, Anthony's wife's father, uh, James Lumpkin, was the district superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church in Arkansas, where uh, Bill Clinton uh, had run for governor. And the apostolic people in Arkansas had been a great friend to him. They had helped him to get elected, and he was sort of felt obligated and indebted to them and so forth. So he visited the apostolic people. He went to camp meetings. Bill Clinton did, Hillary in Arkansas, and then also began to go into Louisiana and go and visit the, 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 the meeting there. And they would just simply greet the audience and so forth. So they became good friends. And when Bill Clinton was elected as president and was, and was, and, and was sent to Washington, D.C., uh, he would sometimes call Anthony in Alexandria and say, would you come up? And would you uh, just be with me, hang out with me some? And, uh, and he would do that. As many of you know, Mickey Mangan sang at his inauguration even. So they, they were very close in that fashion. Uh, as time went along, uh, Hillary felt like that being attached to the conservative element 
was not good for them politically, so she began to withdraw or pull them away from the conservatives to be more with the liberal side. However, at this particular point, they were still pretty close. And so uh, one day uh, he invited Anthony and his father, G.A. Mangan, to go to Washington and to hang out with him a few days up there. So while they were in Washington, one day they went for a jog together, all three of them with their Secret Service entourage. And uh, as they were jogging together, uh, G.A. Mangan jogged up ahead and got right next to the president. Uh, we later heard that it was a little bit of concern for the Secret Service. They didn't know what he was, why he was wanting to get right next to the president in this jogging element that they were doing there around in Washington, uh, jogging together. But anyhow, he would jog up next to the president, and this is what G.A. Mangan whispered in Bill Clinton's ear. He said, don't forget Israel. Don't forget Israel. And then he repeated it a different way. He said, don't betray Israel. Don't betray Israel. And Clinton nodded his head and, and saying, I heard what you said. He never stated any more about it. What, you know, any, they never discussed it. But from his policies following, Bill Clinton never did anything that would alienate us with Israel. And the reason that G.A. Mangan did that and, and the reason that he knew to do that was because he knew that he had influence with the president who could bless America by being a friend to Israel. You see, uh, any country that's a friend to Israel will be blessed of the Lord. It's in the scriptures. And, uh, and, and G.A. Mangan knew that. It wasn't like we just want you to be a blessing to Israel. We want God's blessings on America. And if you want God's blessings on America, be a friend to Israel. And so it was stated that, and that's what he was saying. This is what all of, all of us conservative preachers understand. And we know that because it's all spelled out uh, in the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and that God has stated here that he would be our friend if we would be a friend to him. Now, I want to show you a verse of scripture in the Bible here where this all began. And it's in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. And I'm going to talk to you here about this relationship of America with Israel and how important it is that we maintain this relationship. And here in 12.2, it says, the Lord speaking to uh, Abraham when he was still called Abram. And uh, it says, and I will make of thee a great nation... Speaking to Abraham now, God's speaking to Abraham. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. I will bless thee. Notice that. And I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing to others. Now, this statement here is repeated several times throughout the scriptures, especially in the first part of Genesis, and later on even in the law books. He said, I will bless... <clears throat> You will be a blessing. And uh, he goes on to say in verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So he told Abraham of uh, these things. Now, this is repeated, of course, later on when he spoke to, 
to Isaac. Later on, when he spoke to Jacob, the Lord said to Jacob all over again, Jacob, if you will uh, walk with me and serve me, uh, I will be a blessing to you and I will bless you and I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And, uh, and so he was saying here, be careful what you say and do, and, but walk with me. And if you'll do that, I'll always look out for you. Praise God. And this was a covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob, and with all the children of Israel. Jacob was the name of Israel before God changed it to Israel. Uh, Jacob means supplanter, uh, deceiver, deceptor, so forth. Uh, Israel means prince of God. And when Jacob had that experience with God, the Lord said, your name is no longer Jacob, but it's Israel, and so forth. Uh, so this is why we sometimes have both those names involved. But Israel, as we know it of it, is the nation, and they are descendants of Jacob. And of course, they came from the 12 sons of Jacob and so forth. But I want to just talk to you here a little bit because last week, there was a st- something that was done. It was actually done week before last, and it came out last week in which the, uh, there was a meeting at the UN in New York in which G- uh, Egypt brought forth a resolution that Israel was no longer to build any more, uh, gro- have any more growth in Israel. They were to stop all of their growth, building apartment houses, uh, building uh, you know, places for people to live, that that was to cease, and they wanted that to stop. And ironically, 11 Arab nations voted in support of Egypt to do that. And the United States uh, abstained. They abstained. They did not vote at all. And Israel was rocked by that, and they were shocked by that, that why all of a sudden is all of this happening? And so they, uh, they, you know, Israel began to check it all out. And then reports came out last week that the way that happened was that the United States prompted the, the, the Palestinians to prompt Egypt to bring forth the resolution and America would not stand in their way. And, uh, and so when it went forth, Israel was shocked uh, the United States did not vote for it, but neither did they vote against it, which they had always done in times past. Why would you stop a nation from building apartment rooms and houses for people to live in, you know? The Middle East is full of problems. Assyria, I mean, rather, Syria has its problems to its eyebrows. People are leaving the country. People are being, are, are being killed. Uh, Assad is still in power there. I mean, people are, the refugees are fleeing out of the Middle East. They're coming to Europe. They're, they're flooding Europe until Europe's got more problems they can handle. And the UN sits there and votes that Israel can't build any more apartments for people to live in. Now, isn't that, isn't that ludicrous? And 11 Arab nations vote to support it and everything. And so when they, come to, when they found out that the U.S. had supported that and had prompted that, not just abstain from it, but they had actually prompted to happen with the assurance that they would not object to it. It really sent, uh, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, it sent him into a dither. He was, he was 
upset about it, very angry about it, and so forth. Now, while that is part of history and it's all developing, it's also an assurance to you and I that ultimately, and I will tell you this, ultimately all nations will turn against Israel. But any nation that is a blessing to Israel, God will bless them. Any individual that's a blessing to Israel, God will bless them. It's in the word of the Lord. It's the covenant that God made uh, with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and with his descendants and so forth. I read that scripture to you in Genesis. Look at the one here in, uh, in Leviticus. He said, one day you'll be scattered in throughout all the world. I'm going to scatter you in all the world. And he said to them, I will bless, 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 bless you. But if you sin and transgress the word of God, then I will scatter you throughout all the world. And then in conclusion to that, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26 and verse 44, he says, when I have scattered you in all the world, and then he says in verse 44, and yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, when, the, when Israel is in the land or the Jews are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them. You understand that? The covenant was the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And so he says here, I will not break my covenant with them for I am the Lord your God. Verse 45, and I will, and I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors. Now, I'm telling you all of this so that I want you to know that there is a blessing that is on Israel. And I don't care whether you like it or not, or you like Jews or not, it makes no difference. This covenant between God and Israel is there. And God will bless those that bless them, and he will curse those who curse them. And it's there. Whether it be a nation, whether it be a people, a tribe, or an individual, God wants anyone to know that if you're good to his people, he will be good to you. Praise God. Uh, in, in the course of history, uh, this is all found throughout all Europe. Whenever Israel was scattered throughout all the you know, different countries in Europe, countries that were good to the Jews, God was very good to them. And countries that would be very hard or mean to the Jews, God would become very hard on them. Uh, if I can use this illustration, for instance, well, in fact, we had a couple in this church that was of this group of people. But in 1492, in 1492, when Columbus sailed the blue, uh, as you know, and uh, he has, was commissioned by King Ferdinand of Spain and Queen Isabella of Spain uh, with ships, three ships to sail across the Atlantic to find the new route to India and so forth. And they discovered America. You know the story. In 1492, when all that happened, another thing happened also. Uh, in the country of Spain, especially in the southern part, uh, just, just uh, north of Gibraltar. Gibraltar is that strait that connects the Mediterranean Sea with the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, the Muslims had come in from North Africa, Africa and were beginning to come across Gibraltar, the Straits of Gibraltar, and settle into southern Spain, uh, southern Spain, and they kept growing and growing and getting further and further going north. And the, uh, the Spanish people feared 
that what was happening was the same thing that hap had happened over in Macedonia and Greece. Uh, I don't know whether you know or not, Istanbul, the capital of Turkey, which is a Muslim country, was once uh, was Constantinople. That, and Constantinople was named after Constantine. And uh, it was a Christian nation at that time. And it had, it, not Turkey, but that part of it. And uh, they had eventually crossed over the straits and they had kept moving north and so forth. And so the, the Muslims kept getting part of this. So Spain feared that. And so in 1492, the same year they commissioned Columbus to sail, they also declared war on the Muslims and said, let's drive them back out of Spain, across Gibraltar, back into North Africa. And they did. They went, to, they went and they began to fight them, drive them out, and they got them all out. They went back across, and there are no Muslims now settled there in that southern part of, of Spain, unless they've just come over recently or something of that nature. But the point is that when they got all through with that, and then I'm going to talk about the early 1500s now, and they got all through that, they said, let's get rid of everybody that's not Christians. And they said, well, who would that be? Well, that's all the Jews that we have here. Well, there had been many, many Jews that had settled in Spain and because Spain had been very kind to them and the Jews had made Spain to be a very strong nation. It was one of the strongest nations in Europe at that time. That's why they were able to finance going and trying to find a new, a new route to India. That's how they discovered America. And when they did, they began to bring gold back over to Spain. And so there were many advantages. They, had, they were the, actually, they were the kings of the high seas. They ruled the Atlantic and, and, and so forth. They had all of that in their favor. But then they decided... We're going to get rid of the Jews. And so we don't want anybody. You've got to recant, become a Christian, or either get out, get out of our nation. And uh, many of the Jews left. And they went to places like France and Holland and England, Germany. Uh, and they began to migrate up into that parts of the Europe and so forth. And they, uh, they began to get out of Spain. The ones who decided to stay, some of them decided to change and become Christians. The ones who visited us here, a number of years ago, they were from the group who had converted to Christianity. They were still Jews, but they had converted to Christianity. Now, this has been 500 years ago, so it was their ancestors. And he was telling me about it, and I said, yeah, I know the story about it. And he said, well, we are of that group of people that converted to Christianity. My wife and I, who are Jews, both still Jews, he said, we have converted to the Pentecostals, praise the Lord. So anyhow, and they are Pentecostal, they... Uh, their job call for them to go to California and they now live out there. But I'm just pointing out to you here that I've had personal contact with this group of people. But here's what happened. Many of those Jews in Spain said, we don't want to change and we don't want to leave Spain. So we will be Jews in secret. We will pretend that we were Christians, but we will still be Jews. We'll keep the Sabbath. We'll do all those kind of things. And the way they always determined the Sabbath was walking out on the balcony and looking up. And if you could count three stars, if it was dark enough to see three stars, then the Sabbath would begin on Friday night. Their days always began in the evening and ended on the evening. And whenever it was over with, that is on Saturday evening, they'd walk out on their balcony. And when they could see three stars, then they would say it was over with. This is the way they did that. Well, those 
Spanish people observed that. And they would say, hey, we're seeing these Jews that converted to Christianity, so-called. They're looking, they're standing out on their balcony counting the stars. And they said, they have not been converted. They're still holding fast to the Jewish faith, keeping the Jewish law. And so they, they, they began to bring persecution on them. And this was called the Inquisition. It began with the Inquisition with the Jews, and then it spread to the Protestant movement. By that time, Luther and, and uh, Calvin, West, uh, Wesley Ca uh, Calvin, uh, John, John Calvin, uh, began to uh, organize the Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church. They began to have a big revolt in England. I mean, not England, but in Europe uh, against the Catholic Church. And so then the Catholic Church said, let's take this also to the Protestant movement. Most of you know that that's all in church history. And it was called the Spanish Inquisition, where they would torture people, make them recant, and, and kill them and different things. Very brutal, very severe. And after Ferdinand and and Isabella moved off the scene. Charles V came on and he pushed it to the hill. And of course, all of that is history. I'm telling you that because Jews have gone through that in the past. What happened with Spain is that Spain went down. They had that big ar armada against England and a storm, a hurricane just about destroyed all the fleets of the, of the Spanish fleets. And Spain was never again the nation that they were whenever they were very good to the Jews. And it goes all the way through. I don't know how many of you know this, but you know, under Nazism, uh, they persecuted the Jews and did many terrible things. You know the stories involved there, so forth. I don't know whether you know this or not, but Germany lost 10 million people in World War II. They were the most, they, were the, they, they probably suffered more than any other country did, believe it or not. They started it, but they suffered the most. And, of course, the reason was because, because Hitler just wouldn't quit. And he was just, you know, stubborn and bullheaded and didn't care and so forth. And so, but they suffered from that because they had done all that against the Jews. Now, I'm just telling you that to say that any time that we are good to, the, to Israel, God will be good. That's with the individuals. And then we come to the place about them as a nation. Israel began to develop themselves as a nation around the turn of the 20th century. And they began to say, let's develop ourselves a country that we can call a homeland. And this was called Zionism. Zionism was an attempt by the Jews within themselves, not an act from God, but it was an attempt within themselves to bring Israel back to Palestine and to create for themselves the nation. And that's what we have there today. When I was over there a few years ago, we had a guide, a woman guide, who was a Russian Jew. She'd come from Russia, and she was our guide, and we talked, and she's told us things. And she kept referring to Jesus Christ. So I finally asked her one day, I said, are you a Messianic Jew? Which means, are, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah? And I said, are you a Messianic Jew? She says, no, I am a Zionist. And when she said, I am a Zionist, I knew exactly what she meant. When she said, I'm, I said, I understand. When she said, I'm a Zionist, she means I am for all Jews. Religion doesn't mean anything to me. Whatever, whatever persuasion of religion that they are, if they are Judaism, whether they, if they are, uh, I mean, if they are conservative Jews, if they're Orthodox Jews, if they're liberal Jews, if they have no religion at all, they don't care about religion, 
uh, if they're Messianic Jews, it doesn't matter as long as they are Jews. And so there are Jews who are very interested in building Palestine and building Israel for the Jews. Religion has nothing to do with it. So when you go to Israel, you've got all of these different aspects of religions. You've got the guys with the black suits and the black hats, you know, the black hats around rim, the, the sideburns that come down like this. Some of them got beards. Uh, they're all, you know, they're a little bit different. You've got others that uh, wear a different type garb. Some of them wear hats all the time. Some of them don't wear hats except when they pray. Some of them never pray and they never wear hats, <laughs> the beanie hats and so forth. It's, it's all kinds of, of different religions. And so Israel says we are open to all these kind of people. And this is what Israel as a nation is today. I don't know whether you know it or not, but Israel does have the bomb. You know, when I'm saying the hydrogen bomb, they do have that. It was the French uh, scientist, nuclear scientist, who brought this to Israel more than any other country. And whenever no other country would share that with Israel, uh, Israel said the Jews are the ones who gave us the bomb to start with, the world, I mean. And, uh, and so these uh, French uh, scientists, uh, they, uh, they went to Israel and they said, we know how to do it, we know how to make it, and so they put it together. And they have a place in southern Judea, and I forgot the name of the town, but it's a place where they make the bomb and they have it there, they have it stored. Uh, I don't know whether some of you know this or not, but when they had that six-day war, they had that bomb ready. And uh, uh, Moshe Dayan, the, the general, had one eye in the patch over his eye. Some of you may remember that. He told Golda Meir, who was the prime minister, he told Golda Meir, he says, get the bomb ready. He said, this could be the third temple. When Jews say the third, this could be the third temple, they mean this could be the third time that they're going to try to wipe us out. In other words, they wiped us out and destroyed the temple in 588 B.C. And then they wiped us out and destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., 70 A.D., right after, right after Christ was here. Many of you know the story. And so that's the two temples. They said this could be the third temple. That means that they would try to wipe us out. So he said, get the bomb ready. So they had the bomb ready to go during the Six-Day War, and if they had not had military success on the battlefield, they would have unleashed it. After that, Israel, I know all this because I've read volumes of books on it. Uh, after that, Israel made the decision. They had many decisions to make, and they said, should we get rid of the bomb and say that we got rid of it? They said, they came to the conclusion, no, because we'll never be safe if we did that. Should we get rid of the bomb and say we do have the bomb to make people think we do, but we don't? They said no, because if anybody ever finds out we don't, it would be right back to base one again. Should we keep the bomb and flout it and tell everybody, don't mess with us, we got the bomb? They said no, we don't want to be bullies. And finally they concluded we'll keep the bomb but we'll act like we don't have the bomb or we'll never talk about it. And so this was the position that they finally took, that they would have it, but they'd never talk about it. Now, long ago, it was Iran. When they were talking about Iran building the bomb, they said, Israel has the bomb. Nobody said anything about Israel having the bomb. They have the bomb, you know. 
And so all of this stuff is brewing and all of this is, is going on. And folks, it is a thing that lets us know that we're coming close to the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back soon for his church because all of these things are in the word of God. Now, I want to give you a couple of scriptures here. Then I want to talk to you a little bit about prophecy here. I'm going to give you a scripture in Zechariah, if you will, for a moment. Look in Zechariah chapter 12 and 9. And this is mentioned, I would say, this very statement is mentioned probably at least six times in various places in prophecy. And here in Zechariah 12, 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And then jump into Zechariah 13, 2. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. He mentions this in 14, 2. Verse 3. This is Zechariah 14, 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle and so forth. This is uh, sort of uh, the things that will happen when all that comes about. If I can read, excuse me a minute. Read. If I can read also <clears throat> a couple of verses here in Ezekiel 38. And Ezekiel 38 and 39, those two chapters are full of all of these things that build up to these nations come against, against, at one time against Israel. And it will happen. And America, as long as much as we have been friends to Israel, one day will not be friends to Israel. All nations will be against Israel, including, including the United States. So when I saw this thing happening this past week, I thought, yo, it's just all brewing. Now, I don't know what our next president is going to do. I don't know whether he'll do anything. I don't know whether anything will be changed. I have no idea. You know, there's a lot of talk and talk, talk, talk and everything. News drives me crazy. All that news, yakety, 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 yak. You know, uh, I'm just trying to tell you here, you know, be careful just listening to the news all the time. It'll just, all it does is just wind you up like a, like a little toy soldier running around. Blah, 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 you know, uh, and so forth. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that the word of God will be fulfilled exactly as God's word has said it would be. Now, let me read these two verses to you here because this will happen. Ezekiel 38, I'm just saving time here by reading a few verses. <clears throat> Verse 8 and 9, 38, 8, 9. After many days thou shalt be visited, speaking to Israel. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. He's talking to the nations that come against Israel here. It's what he's saying. And uh, he says, which, uh, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. And thou shalt ascend and come like a storm and shall be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. And if we were to take time to read here the, these countries involved it is countries in Europe, all over Europe, both Eastern and Western Europe. It is countries in the Middle East. They name Persia. They name Ethiopia. Uh, it go, they name Libya. It goes on and on and so forth. All of these Middle Eastern countries, they will all swarm against Israel eventually one day. 
I'm going to give you some sort of some information here in a moment to help us to know about how that, when that will happen. And thou shalt come, and uh, I'm reading verse 15 now. This is 3815. Uh, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. Verse 16, thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, for their eyes. And he goes on to say, my fury, verse 38, he says, my fury shall come up in my face. In other words, God says, I'm just going to get real angry here and I'm going to deal with these people. And it goes on to say how that the Lord will send his presence and his judgment upon these nations when they come against the land of Israel. I'm going to read one other verse here in, in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and then I'm going to uh, show you some charts here in a moment. But in Revelations chapter uh, 15, I believe it is, let me find it here right quick. Revelations 15 and uh, 14, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles, 15, 14, which go forth into the kings of the earth of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So it's going to happen. Verse 16, and he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And so this is what we often think of and we know of as Armageddon. Now I want to show you a couple of charts here. I'm going to show you where we are today. And uh, my whole objective here today is to help you and I both to understand what this is all about, where it's going, and where we are in the middle of all of it. And uh, this is a chart here. It's a timeline. It'll come clear in just a moment. And uh, all right. I'm sorry that it, it has a, it has a, uh, the lights up here make this dim down. So it doesn't always show clearly. Um, but this is the first, this is the Old Testament here, this semicircle. Old Testament and uh, the cross is here, Calvary, this is the beginning. This is when Jesus came in the beginning of the New Testament. This is the New Testament period of time here. This is a 2,000 year period. This is a 4,000 year period here. This is 2,000 year period. And we are coming close to the end. This is the year, what, 2017, right? And uh, Jesus was born uh, about 4 BC or zero date, whatever you want to choose. And so we know that the next major event to take place is the coming of the Lord. Now, the Bible said that Israel shall be scattered for two days, two days. That's in Hosea 6, 2, two days. We know it's not a 24-hour day. It can't be. But the, day, the Bible says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It's, also, it's recorded both the Old Testament and in the New Testament in 2 Peter. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. That's why when the Lord said in the day that you eat of this fruit, Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. They didn't die in 24 hours. They died, uh, Abraham, uh, Adam was 930 years old when he died. Nobody's ever lived beyond 1,000 in the day. That's the dispensational day. And so, so when the Hosea 6-2 said after two days or after two dispensational days, after 2,000 years, the Lord will do what he will do and he'll bring Israel back into his full grace, uh, which they're not back in his full grace yet. 
So 2,000 years here, we know that the next major event to take place is a rapture. The Bible is full of that, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks all about the rapture, the coming of the Lord. Scripture's all filled in through there. I'm telling you all of this so that you understand here that we are very close to the coming of the Lord. The Bible says we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So we know that these things are coming to pass and following the rapture. Now, here's my point to you. Don't miss the rapture. If you were here last night in our evening service, I talked to you here about staying faithful to God. If there's ever been a time in the history of the church age that we need to just say, it's, the Lord is coming soon, it's now. We do know he's coming now. The signs are out there. The signs are, we haven't seen the signs in the heavens yet. We do, we are seeing some on the earth. There will be earthquakes. There's going to be more of them, incidentally. You'll be, you'll be hearing about it. There's going to be more earthquakes. There's going to be some, some, some severe ones. But I'm just saying here that earthquakes and things happening on the earth, tidal waves, and, uh, and also there will be, eventually there will be signs in the heavens. All these things are signs to let us know. But don't wait. When, the, when you begin to see these things come bad, then look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And we know that it's coming upon the face of the earth. And we also know that Israel, praise the Lord, is part of those signs. When you see the, the Israel is, is spoke about as the fig tree. When you see the leaves putting forth, the, the uh, tree putting forth the leaves, then know that it is nighttime. And I'm just saying all of that, and I'm just quoting a lot of scripture here and throwing them all together into a hodgepodge here to let you know that we are nearing the coming of the Lord. And after the coming of the Lord, the world will enter into a tribulation period in which the judgments of God will come. Now, if you want to know all about it, you start reading the book of Revelation. Start at chapter 6. Chapter 6, and then go right on down through one chapter after another. Chapter 6, 7, 8, 9. And uh, between chapter 6 and chapter 9, I'm going to pass this along to you for what it's worth. Half of the world population will be destroyed. They will die from all kinds of things, especially from nuclear war. There is going to be a nuclear war. There is going to be a lot of things. And finally, the Antichrist will come on the scene at the end of this period of time. And whenever they do here at this very end of this little semicircle, this is only here about a 10-year period. And this will only be about seven years it will happen. But so when the rapture takes place, you're only looking at about 10 years here. I'm, and I'm just guessing at that. I know it's longer than seven, but I know it's not much longer than seven. And so during this period of time here, uh, the Antichrist will rule the world for three and a half years. He will rise to power for three and a half years. Then he'll rule for three and a half years. And then he is the one who will say, let's get rid of the Jews forever now. Let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. And all the nations will bind together. Where will America be, Brother Mario? It'll be part of everything else. It'll all just be there. And they will all come against Israel and they will begin to say, we're just going to take Israel and we're going to defy, destroy Israel. It'll be very much the same attitude that Nazism had in World War II against the Jews in Germany and in Austria and in all those countries. I don't know if you've ever been to some of those camps 
I've been to Matt, Matt, Matt Hausen there in Austria, and you see where they had those concentration camps for the Jews, or a horrible thing to see. But I'm just trying to tell you here that this will be a time where they'll say, let's get rid of all the Jews. So can I just say this? If we stay with the word of God, God will be faithful to his people. Hallelujah. When all this happens and Armageddon happens, that's when the Lord then will come back with his church. He comes back for his church here. And then he comes back with his church here at Armageddon. Now, I'm going to give you a verse of scripture here. Uh, I'm going to have you. Can you, can, can you even see that up there? Can, in, in the back, can you see that back there? Okay, all right, thank you. Uh, I want you to look with me in Revelations 19 a moment. A while ago, we read uh, to you Revelations chapter um, eight, uh, uh, 18 and so forth. I mean, 15. Now, I want to read chapter 19 to you here. Look at verse 11. 1911. This is where it all happens. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is the Lord coming back. Not this time for his church, but with his church. Stay with me on this. Notice it says white horse. I'm sure this is symbolic of the Lord coming back as a conqueror. Remember the first time he rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a donkey. Remember that? A donkey rode in as a servant. And they all said, King, you know, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. They laid their clothes in the way. This is called Palm Sunday. They put palm leaves out and everything. And everything Jesus rode on those things into Jerusalem. And then a week later, I mean, less than a week later, just, uh, what, four days later, uh, they crucified him, you know. And uh, he rode in as, as a donkey. This time when he comes back, it'll be different. Praise Lord. One of our brothers wrote a song, it'll be different next time. And when Jesus comes back this time to the earth, you see, when he comes back for his church, we'll rise to meet him in the air. All the world won't see him. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then when he comes back, then after this tribulation period is over with, and he comes back to fight for Israel, he comes back with his church. I'm going to read those verses to you here. Hang on here with me. It says here, I'm reading here from 1911. It says, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and, on the, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Folks, let me say this. Jesus today in the dispensation of grace is here to save us. He wants to save you. His love is extended to you. He reaches out to you with his spirit. He draws you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to, to come to him. He shows all compassion, but that will change. That will change because whenever the church is taken away and God is all through working through the tribulation period, he comes back then as a judge, not as a savior. He comes back as a judge. And he goes on to say here, uh, here in this verse, that uh, he is faithful and true and righteous. He doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were mighty crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and his name is called the Word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. So we're looking at Jesus here. God as Jesus Christ coming. So it says here that it's called the Word of God, verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Oh, I like that. If you want to just back up to verse uh, 8, it says here, and to her, that is, his, that is the marriage supper of the lamb, the wife, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. If you walk with God and live for God, you'll wear white. He said, one day you'll walk with me in white. I mentioned that last night in our service to you. Well, here they are. They're coming now in white clothes, clean and white. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it goes on down here, right on down through here, uh, how that all the fowls of the air will come, which coincides with uh, Hebrews 38 and 39. And uh, it talks about how that uh, he will bring the, he, he will take the Antichrist, throw him in the lake of fire and the false prophet with him. All these things, it's a wrap up of all this evil, and all this wickedness. And then the Lord will set up a thousand years of peace on this earth. But we will reign with, rule with Christ uh, after that, praise the Lord, uh, with a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. And we'll be in a holy city, the holy city, New Jerusalem. I won't go into detail on all of that. Only to say that there is a great reward for those who walk with God. And there is a terrible judgment for those who will despise God's word and turn their back on God and walk away from God. And last night I gave an illustration of a family I knew that decided to get out from under the umbrella of protection that God gives us if we walk with him. And how that one by one they all died and lost out with God and their lives went to nothing and they all died reasonably a young, young people, younger. Uh, you know, I, I won't go into detail on it. But I'm just saying here, serve the Lord. Walk with the Lord. And uh, when you see all these things happening, just say, yep, that's going to happen. God is going to bring judgment upon the earth. I could take the 14th chapter of Zechariah and show you how that when the Lord comes back at Armageddon, he'll come right back where he left. This is the only place he touches the earth again. He will touch his feet on the Mount of Olives, right where he went up in Acts chapter 1. He'll touch down there. And you know what will happen when he touches that? This 14th chapter of Zechariah, Mount of Olives will split wide open when he touches down at it. Living waters will come out from under Jerusalem, flow down into the desert, and it will heal all the desert land. It will flow into the Dead Sea and heal the Dead Sea. And all the salt will be taken away and so forth. I'm just trying to tell you here that God is going to change things, but he's going to trust you and I to walk with him and be faithful. And one of these days, it'll happen. The trumpet shall sound. He'll say to Gabriel, Gabriel, take that trumpet now. Sound that trumpet loud and strong. Sound it long enough that the dead in Christ shall hear it first. Oh, hallelujah. One of these days, folks, it could be this year. Praise the Lord. I'm serious. There's nothing holding back the coming of the Lord. It is the next 
major event in, in this Christian understanding of the things that's coming to pass. And the Lord said, I will reveal to my servants and my people that I love, I will reveal to my friends what I will do. Hallelujah. The Lord is coming. And sometimes you can feel it in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So when you come to church, say, Lord, I've come to worship you. And come to church every chance you get. And just worship and glorify God. You might not be a runner. You may not be one that dances around. And you might be. That's all right. And, you know, you might just be one that raises your hand. You may be one that just sits and raises your hand. That's about where I'm getting anymore. I sit and raise my hand. But let me just say this. Praise the Lord. Keep on worshiping God. One of these days, we'll hear the trumpet sound and we'll walk streets of gold. Would you stand with me together and let's lift our hands and praise him. Lord, we love you so much today. We thank you, Jesus, for your many blessings. You're so good to your people. Thank you for your awesome blessings, awesome blessings upon us. Lord, be with us in all things. We glorify your name and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.